to Genesis chapter 45 as we look at this passage this morning. I'm going to give the sermon a title this morning. You could call it The Hidden Hand of God. Have you ever seen one of those clips where someone is thwarted in what they were doing? They, they react really badly. They sort of have a, a hissy fit only for a surprise to be then wheeled out. Something even better than what they were expecting. And then uh, you see them standing there looking a bit foolish or shamefaced or embarrassed. Well, all sorts of things happen to us every day. Good, bad, puzzling. Things in our lives that are hard and difficult. Things that thwart us. um, That force a change of plan. Some small. Might be a flat tire. It might be a chipped tooth. Some huge illness, job loss, or accident. These strange providences. And how will we react to them? Well, it depends very much on whether we know God. Whether we believe there's a God who's in control of everything. And not only that he's in control of everything, but we are somehow connected to him, related to him, and can trust him with these events. So what is the basis for knowing there's a God who's in charge of everything? What is the basis for trusting him with these events? We see in the life of Joseph that Joseph is someone who trusts God when the way ahead isn't clear. And we've seen as we've looked at the life of Joseph, God showing and demonstrating in this man's life that he has a plan, that he's not making it up as he goes along, and that you can, you can see his hand at work as you look over the life of Joseph. It's not accidental. And I want us to look at this chapter this morning under this sort of heading of the hidden hand of God. And three things I want us to see as we look at it. First of all, trusting the hidden hand of God. Trusting the hidden hand of God. (coughs) Excuse me. There are words here that must rate as some of the most dramatic in the Old Testament, if not in all of literature. These words are up there with the words uh, that Nebuchadnezzar said when he looked into a a blazing furnace, and he said, were there not three men that we tied up and threw into the furnace? Look, I see four. Imagine the shock, the surprise, and the the faces of his attendants as they turned and looked into that furnace. Or imagine the, the surprise on the woman's faces as they went to the tomb, expecting to anoint the body of their dead friend Jesus And they find the stone rolled away. And an angelic being saying, he's not here, he's risen. Or Mary Magdalene, whenever uh, she is coming to the tomb uh, in another moment, in that crazy morning, whenever people are running here and there and everywhere, and she comes and she, she, she thinks that somebody's taken his body and she says to someone who's standing there, sir, if you've taken his body, show me where you've put it. And 
And the person standing there says, Mary. She looks up. And it's Jesus. Those are all surprising words where people have been caught off guard by what they've, they've seen. But these words here are right up there with them. They come just after Judah's magnificent speech, pleading, Don't take Benjamin. Enslave me. Make a slave of me. And the Egyptian prime minister, Zaphonath Paneah, barks an order to his attendants to leave. The brothers must have looked at each other in fear. What now? What's he going to do now? And then this great man, prime minister of all Egypt, breaks down sobbing. And great heaving gasps come from his his lungs, his mouth, and he says two words in Hebrew, Ani Yosef. I am Joseph. You can imagine the turmoil in their heads. How did he know our brother's name? What sort of a trick is this? How did, how did he know Hebrew? Has he known Hebrew all along? All the time we've been talking about the things that we did, has he, even though he used an interpreter, has he understood everything we said? And then Joseph speaks again. He says, Is my father still living? And slowly it begins to dawn on these men. And you can imagine, well it says they're terrified, but you can imagine that sheer terror starting to fill their hearts. The pieces fall into place. That's why he asked the questions. Do you have another brother? Is your father still alive? That's how he knew how to seat us in order of age. Odds of, what was it, 39 million to one. Getting 11 men in the right birth order. That's how he knew. That explains the favoritism towards Benjamin. Is this powerful man really Joseph? And they cower in fear. And then Joseph says tenderly, Come close. Come close to me. And then he says something that only 11 people in the whole world knew. I am Joseph, your brother. The one you sold into Egypt. Benjamin didn't know it. Their father Jacob didn't know it. Only those ten men and one other, Joseph. And there's the ten men. They thought Joseph was dead and now a voice speaks and reveals the one thing that only one other person knew. They had last seen him tied behind perhaps a camel or a donkey, his cries fading away as he pleaded desperately for their pity as he was sold off to the Ishmaelites and they took him down that dusty desert path to Egypt. Now the man they're all afraid of, they're afraid of him anyway. Zaphonath Pania, prime minister of all Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, and in fact Pharaoh gave him all power He says, look, you run the country. I'm just away to enjoy being Pharaoh here. Left it in Joseph. And he's he's their brother. What a jaw-dropping moment. All the more reason for terror. And Joseph's reaction is glorious. His words are glorious for what they are and what they reveal. He says, and now, uh, verse um, 5, And now do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves. 
for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Don't be distressed. God sent me. It's the first of three repeated God sent me statements. There's actually a number of things that are repeated three times in this uh, chapter. It's just an ancient way of underlining stuff. You repeat it and you repeat it until people see it. Verse 5, God sent me. Look at verse 7. But God sent me ahead of you. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. In those uh, four verses, Joseph sandwiches everything he says with, but God sent me. There's a deep awareness in Joseph's mind that behind all this, behind his brother's wicked actions, lay the hidden hand of God. Joseph is going to unpack why God had sent him. He's been able to trace the hidden hand of God on this. But for now I want us to see that all along, whilst he has not been able to trace the hidden hand of God all along, he has been trusting the hidden hand of God. In Genesis 39 verse 9, Potiphar's wife is seeking to entice him to sin. And Joseph says, no, I couldn't do that and sin against God. The baker and the cupbearer, he speaks to them of God in the midst of the prison in chapter 40. In chapter 41, five times he speaks to Pharaoh, the man who believed himself to be a God, whose nation had many gods. Joseph speaks to him of the God who interprets dreams and who rules everything. On on having sons, Joseph Again, remembers his God. And then he speaks to his brothers before they know it's him. He speaks to them of God. At every turning point when Joseph speaks, he speaks about God. This doesn't mean that he has it figured out all along. I think he's only putting the pieces all together here in the end. But all along, at every turn, it would seem that he's been hanging on to God. His reaction here displays his deep trust in the hidden hand of God. And I want us to see that this morning and to make a couple of applications. The reason for Joseph's magnificent reaction here is that for 20 years he has been trusting and trusting and trusting and trusting. Two applications at this point. Trusting the hidden hand of God brings light into the darkness of uncertainty. Trusting the hidden hand of God brings light into the darkness of uncertainty. He trusted God when he didn't have answers. When it wasn't clear. What's going on? Why have I been sold as a slave? What sort of wickedness is this? Why have I been lied about again? I didn't do anything wrong and I've been lied about. I've been forgotten. All of those uncertainties. The why, why, why. He hangs on to God in the pit in Potiphar's house, in prison, in the palace, whenever he reaches parenthood, when he reaches power, when he has no answers, and even worse, whenever he begins to get an answer, and then his hopes are dashed and smashed, he hangs on to God. He hangs on to God. He works trusting God's sovereignty in all circumstances. And this is the application for us to keep 
looking to the hidden hand of God, to trust that behind all things, God's hand is at work. Not simply a kingly sovereignty, but a fatherly sovereignty. His ways are bigger than our ways. They're richer than our ways. They're greater than our ways. Not even sin can stand in the way of his working all things for good. You know, we don't have all the answers. And trust doesn't have all the answers. If it had all the answers, it wouldn't be trust. If I give you a million pounds and say, trust me for a million pounds, well, you're not going to have to trust me. I've just given it to you. You've got it. But whenever I say, trust me for a million pounds, I'll give it to you next year. You haven't got it. You have to trust when we don't have the answers, when we're in the darkness, when we're in the pit, when we had our hopes dashed for the umpteenth time, that's when we've got to trust. And we'll come at the end to the, the clincher of the argument about why we can trust. But this is what trust looks like. Trusting the hidden hand of God, keeping going. Keeping going when there's accident, where there's illness, where there's disappointment, where God's timing and our timing don't match and our plans and his plans don't coincide and we're left thinking, why? What do I do now? Whenever we keep trusting the hidden hand of God, it brings light into the darkness of uncertainty. And the second application, keep trusting the hidden hand of God because it safeguards us from resentment. Trusting the hidden hand of God safeguards us from resentment. This is, we see this in Joseph's life as things start to become clear to him that his scheming, spiteful, vindictive brothers stand in front of him, cowering in terror. Does he come across as bitter and resentful? No, he doesn't enact revenge. He extends forgiveness and it's not a spur of a moment thing coming from a big heart he's not just saying ah forget about it and let bygones be bygones this is flowing out of his trust in God's sovereignty we're amazed at at Joseph's forgiveness but it flows out of his trust he's at pains to emphasize I'm not blaming you my brothers God sent me here God's been in charge God has a purpose While his brothers let him down, Joseph has been hanging on to the fact that God will never let him down. And that changes how he even sees what his brothers did to him. He's focused not on himself, not on his brothers, but on God. But God, God did this. God sent me. That doesn't make what his brothers did right. It was wrong. It was wicked. But this is what frees him from bitterness and resentment. His brothers were scum in what they did. Now he can play that chorus line over and over in his head until it becomes the melody of his life and he's filled with bitterness and rage and resentment. Or he can say, yes, what they did was wrong, but my trust isn't in my brother's niceness. My trust is in my God's sovereignty and his goodness, and he's bigger than my brothers. And I'm going to keep looking at God, and the chorus line of God's sovereignty is what 
Joseph has been singing for 20 years. And that gives him a confidence that God is sovereign over the wrong things, the unfair things, the disappointing things. And you see, we need to trust the hidden hand of God so that we don't become bitter or resentful at what others have done to us that has been utterly wrong or unfair or unjust. We've got to trust that behind it all, our kind and good Heavenly Father is sovereign and He is working out His purposes. And also it will safeguard us from anger. Not at other people, but anger and resentment towards God. Because we'll see and we'll know that if he hasn't done it the way we wanted, he has a better way of doing it. In Hebrews 12, verse 15, we read, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no root of bitterness grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness and resentment are an acid that corrode our hearts. And here is the alkaline that neutralizes the acid and stops it corroding us. Brothers were wrong, but God was sovereign. And we need uh, to trust the hidden hand of God in life so that we don't grow resentful, frustrated, or bitter. And what a witness it is um, whenever... Uh, people see that happening. What a witness it is to, um, to Joseph's brothers as they see the grace of God working in Joseph's life. Uh, one writer says, No one who believes in the sovereignty of God in the affairs of life can bear a grudge or take revenge. And that means then whenever Joseph's brothers come seeking forgiveness, Joseph is ready. He is at hold, ready to hold out to them. He, he's been saying that all along his brothers were wrong, but God was sovereign. God will overrule and use this. And so when they come and they say we're sorry, Joseph hasn't all the deep roots of bitterness to pull out of his heart. They hadn't got time to take root. Or every time they did start to take root, Joseph pulled them out. But God is sovereign. But God is sovereign. God is sovereign. have got to trust the hidden hand of God and it will safeguard us against resentment. Secondly, uh, we've got to trace the hidden hand of God. We've got to trace the hidden hand of God. Now, we've got to be very careful because when we're in the thick of something, it's next to impossible to trace the hidden hand of God. That's when we've got to trust the hidden hand of God. But there are times in our lives we can look back and we can see, ah, That's what God's doing. That's what he was at. That's perhaps why that happened. And we've got to be in the habit of tracing it because that'll strengthen us to trust him the next time we can't trace it. We've got to trace it here in Scripture, in Joseph's life, in in the pages of the Bible and in the pages of our own lives so that we can see that God is working things for good. I don't know when all this became clear to Joseph. I don't believe for a moment that he knew it all from the start. That would be bizarre and foolish, I think, to even think that. It may have been whenever 
his brothers first appeared in Egypt that he had the, an inkling out of an idea. It, it may have been when they ate in his house. It may have been when they rode back in with Benjamin. He started to think, maybe this is why God has me here. But at some point, and as we look down through this, we see that he has been putting the jigsaw pieces together. Verse 5. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I want us to note that he gives three statements. And each one shows us God's hidden hand at work. First of all, we see God overruled and orchestrated all this to save his people. God overruled and orchestrated all this to save his people. The famine had still five more years to last. There's only food in Egypt. The man in charge of the food is their own flesh and blood. They would live because Joseph was in charge. But trace the hidden hand of God in that. Is it not incredible? They would live because they had sold Joseph into slavery. There's God's sovereignty at its most amazing. Unless the brothers had sold Joseph as a slave, they would have all died in the famine. Doesn't make their actions right. But it shows God's power. God's sovereign control over all his creatures, all their actions. These men, their sinfulness, wickedness is not excusable. But God is not beaten by it. He uses it. He uses it. Uh, One writer says, God does not need our sins to work out his good intentions. But we give him little other material. That it? We don't give him much other material to work with, do we? But our God is not beat. And haven't we seen that many times? God overruling and orchestrating all these circumstances for the saving of his people. Perhaps somebody on the brink of despair. Perhaps somebody mired in addiction. Perhaps somebody in brokenness and pain. And those are the very things that God has used to bring them to know Jesus Christ or to be useful in the lives of others. And you, some of you here, can trace the hidden hand of God at work in your life, orchestrating and overruling for the salvation of you and of others. You see that in Joseph's life. Trace the hidden hand of God. Marvel at it. Secondly, God had overruled and orchestrated this For the growth of his people. For the growth of his people, verse 7. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Or the margin has, and I think it's maybe a better translation, save you as a great band of survivors. A great band of survivors. It's the... It's not just the greatness of the salvation, but the greatness of the band of survivors of the people who have been saved is in view. Joseph would seem to have in mind the promises that God had made to Abraham, that he would make his descendants a mighty nation. And here they were, there were 70 of them, and they were in Canaan, and there's a seven-year famine going on. And how are they going to grow and flourish and prosper? But God overrules. He had a plan. 
to preserve his people and to turn them from a small number into a great band of survivors. Hardship, the famine, is orchestrated and overruled by God for the growth of his people. As I know we see in many different places across the world, persecution comes to the Christian church in China, in Iran. In, we've seen it in our own church's mission work in Ethiopia whenever the missionaries had to leave way back in the 70s. And yet when they went back to the place where they had once been, they found that there were hundreds of Christians there where there had been very few before. China, the missionaries had to leave. And whenever, whenever China sort of opened up again, they found that there weren't just thousands of Christians that there had been, but there were millions of Christians. God orchestrating, overruling for the growth of his people. He still works the same today. Have confidence. Have confidence. And then we see as well, thirdly, God overruling and orchestrating this for the blessing of his people. Verse 8. It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. Hurry back. Say, come down here. You shall live in the region of Goshen. That's what Joseph says. But Pharaoh, later on, verse 18, look at that. I will give you the best. This is Pharaoh. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. Remember the repetition thing? Verse 20. Never mind about your belongings. This is Pharaoh speaking. Because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Verse 23. We have a description of what was happening as they they traveled back up. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. The best of Egypt will be theirs. God's great providence sees that things work out better than they could ever have imagined. They will not simply survive. They will not simply just grow and multiply. They will find that life was better. God orchestrated and overruled for them in a way they couldn't have imagined. Yes, they'll have to leave home, and yes, the future will be a bit uncertain, but God's ways are ways that have incredible provision that you couldn't have begun to imagine. This is why trusting God is worthwhile. Trace his hidden hand so that you can see that he doesn't shortchange any of his people. He doesn't shortchange his people. And there's application here for us as individuals and as a church. As individuals, God doesn't take us where he won't provide for us. Where he takes you, he will provide. He's promised to do so. He promised Abraham that he would make his family into a great nation. That's what part of this is about. He promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to the nations of the earth and that the nations of the earth would would bless His people. That's what we see happening here. God keeps his promises. He has promised that he will provide. You can trust him to provide. Trace his hidden hand and that will strengthen your trust in him. That he will provide. Like I said earlier, 
it's hard to trace the hidden hand of God in the middle of a story. We have to let that story finish. I can't see how this will turn out. But what we've got to do is read the other stories. Other stories in Scripture or stories in our lives. You know how it is. You're reading Agatha Christie or you're reading Sherlock Holmes and you're reading a new mystery and you don't quite know how it's going to finish but you know how every other one's finished and you've got a confidence about how it'll turn out. Well, we don't know quite how the hidden hand of God is working right at this moment in our lives. But we've read enough other stories to have a confidence. Ah, we know how it'll turn out though in the end. Trace his hidden hand. Somebody has said that the tracing God's providence is like reading Hebrew. In the Hebrew Bible, you don't start at the front and work to the back. You start at what we would call the back and work to the front. In a sense, that's what tracing the hidden hand of God is like. You've got to let him finish his story so that you can see it. So then read the finished stories to strengthen you when you're in the middle of a story. But then, as a church too, there's application for us here. In 21st century Ireland, we might feel, or in Western Europe, we might feel as if we're living amongst the the gods of Egypt and the the, the mixed-up belief systems that were in Egypt at the time. Where here we are, a little group of people following Jesus, and, uh, you know, everything seems you know, to be going a different way, but we need to remember that our Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ, is on the throne. And his hand is in the treasury. And as a church, we can trust the hidden hand of God, even when we can't trace what's happening in our culture and why he's allowing this to happen. And so we can look at it with confidence. Our time's mostly gone, but let me just finish with the foundation for all of this. The reason why. This isn't just simply looking at the past and drawing a lesson from 3,000, 4,000 years ago and trying to vaguely and vainly connect it to 21st century life. This is how God works. And the last thing I want us to see is the triumph of the hidden hand. As we look at the story of Joseph, the story of Joseph is a portrait and a, a parallel story to the story of Jesus. A man betrayed, a man betrayed by those close to him, a man who went from, as it were, a place of favoritism um, and being the father's beloved son down into the pit of hell, only to be raised to life again and placed on the throne where he rules everything for the good of his people. And he was like Joseph. He was sent ahead of us to provide salvation for us. He was sent ahead for there to be a great band of survivors. He was sent ahead so that he could say, I have a place prepared for you. A place near me where I will provide for you not just all the days of your lives but forever and ever and ever. And he sits in the throne and he works all things for good. And it's when we look at the life of Jesus that we see that this is God's way of working. 
that he works all things for good and he works even the perplexing, puzzling circumstances and the actions that are unjust and unfair. He uses all of those for good. Peter said in the day of Pentecost, you crucified him. He says, God gave him over to wicked men who put him to death, but God was in charge of the whole thing. Does that not give us confidence? Here's the foundation for trusting this God. Whenever you know him as your saviour, whenever you know the hands that are hidden are the hands that were nailed to the cross for you, you can trust them. When you know the hands that are hidden today were the hands that were nailed to the cross for you, you can trust them. So let me just finish with two quick applications. One, if you are a Christian this morning, keep trusting. Keep trusting the hidden hands. Hear him say, not I am Joseph, but I am Jesus. God sent me ahead of you to the cross, so there's nothing left for you to pay. God has sent me into your trials, so that I will know what you need. And I sit on the throne with my hand in the treasury to provide for you all that you need. I am Jesus. I've gone ahead of you to prepare a place for you. Trust me. I will bring you home. Do not be afraid. Do not be distressed. If you're a Christian this morning, trust the hidden hand and as you trust it, see the nail prints on it because they guarantee how trustworthy it is. And if you haven't come and put your trust in Christ this morning, let me encourage you to do so, to hear him standing before you this morning and saying, I'm Jesus. I went ahead of you. I went to the cross for you so that you wouldn't have to go there. I've paid the price so that you could live. Don't be distressed. Come and trust me. And you'll find that I'll take all of the events of your life and I'll work them for good. Amen. Let's stand as we come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the nail prints and the wrists of the one who is on the throne. Our older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in our uncertainty and in our perplexity comes and puts his arms around us and says, Don't be afraid. And don't be anxious. I'll take care of you. We praise you for the true and better Joseph. That this isn't simply an ancient story that we look at and we think, wow, wouldn't it have been amazing to be Joseph's brothers and to have gone from having nothing to being the brothers of the most powerful man in the land. And yet, Lord, that is exactly... What we are if we have put our trust in Christ. We are nobodies who are brothers and sisters to the most powerful man in the universe. We thank you for that. Help us in those moments when the troubles of life so cloud our vision that we can't see the throne. 
when we struggle to trace the hand, the hands at work, help us to trust the hands and to trust the heart that directs the hands. And Father, help us in those moments when we can look back and we see the stories that you finished in our lives and we can read them and we can see the hidden skill and the weaver's magic as you have tied loose ends together and you have used the dark threads to to show us the richness of your solution. Oh Lord, let us trace the hand so that we can trust the hand. And Father, we pray uh, for those this morning. Perhaps this is something new entirely. Lord, let them see that the hands that rule the universe are hands that came into the universe and were nailed to a cross in real time and real history so that we could have a living relationship with you and that we could trust you with everything. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.